up our thoughts about heaven we've, we've been talking about the movie I can only imagine I hope you've had a chance to see that one as well a very powerful meaningful Christian film and, uh, but it turns our thoughts toward heaven it reminds us that in the hardest times of life in the times of trouble the Bible teaches us to turn our eyes toward heaven and to remember what awaits us uh, that was very much a part of Paul's life and while he was languishing in this Roman prison toward the end of his life he'd been given the death sentence by the Romans he knew his time was short but instead of looking down and around at all the troubles he faced he kept turning his eyes toward Jesus and that gave him the hope and the strength he needed to endure so let's not only imagine about heaven let's Let's see what the Scripture teaches us. We started out a couple weeks ago in Revelation 4. A grand description of the glory of God, the throne of God, which is the centerpiece of heaven. Then last week we moved to Revelation 21 when we talked about the beauty of eternal life. A life where there is no suffering, no sadness, no sickness, no death. All those things are gone. Imagine life with only the good the beautiful, the joyful, the peaceful, and none of the other things. That's how John describes life in heaven. And this morning I want to backtrack to Revelation 5, where Jesus makes his entrance. The one who makes our hope of heaven possible. I think this is one of those scriptures uh, better heard from someone than me, so we want to play it for you. Just sit back and listen to Revelation 5. Five. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. 
He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb see and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped Revelation 5 opens with God on his throne. And in his hand he has a scroll. It's written on the front and the back. And it's sealed with seven seals. Now the fact that it's written on the front and the back symbolize that it's complete. Nothing more shall be added to it. And the seven seals represent the sovereign authority of God. He's the one who has declared it. And he's the one who will make it so. The fact that the scroll is on the front and the back also represents the two aspects of God's promise for the end of this world. He promises that he will bring righteous judgment upon evil. And he declares that he will bring promised reward to the righteous. So the scroll represents justice and reward. And I take great comfort in knowing that this world is in the hands of God. You know, when I was a child, we sang that old song, he's got the whole world in his hands. I know you're in good hands with Allstate. But trust me, you're in better hands with God. Because, you know, this world just seems like it's, it's out of control. It seems like evil has the upper hand all the time. It's not a day goes by I don't hear something in the news and go, ah, 
When will it end? And there is no end. Not until the time of the end. And then God promises that he will make all things right. He will destroy the influence of evil and he will reward his people. But in order for that to happen, the scroll has to be opened. You can picture the scene in heaven. God is on his throne and he's holding out the, the scroll to all those who are there. The 24 elders representing the people of God. The four living creatures representing all of his creation. All the angelic beings. All the hosts of heaven. And, and God holds it out. Who? Who can open it? And no one comes forward. John begins to weep, he says, because it seems as if this promised fulfillment of God is not going to happen. But then John hears a voice say, Don't weep. Behold, the Lion of Judah, the Root of David. You just imagine the, the, the anticipation of that moment. The lion of Judah. A lion is a powerful, mighty animal. The root of David is symbolic of a warrior king. They're expecting Jesus to come forth in power and strength and majesty and to storm the gates of hell to, to usher in God's righteous judgment and bring about our promised reward. It was a lot like Palm Sunday. On Palm Sunday, Jesus reached the pinnacle of his earthly ministry. For a long time, his disciples had thought that he was not being given his due. People really didn't appreciate or recognize Jesus for who he was. But on this day as he rode into Jerusalem and they waved the palm branches and they shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They said, finally, <laughs> they get it. He is our Messiah. He is our King. But we all know that's not where the story ends. the victorious Christ of Palm Sunday fell victim to the angry mobs and the jeering religious leaders and the merciless Romans on Thursday and Friday. The jubilant Christ became the crucified Christ. And that is why when the voice in heaven called out, Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah and the Root of David, no lion came forth. No mighty warrior rode in on his white stallion. Instead, there was a little frail lamb that had been mortally wounded. Because Jesus had taught all along that you cannot overcome evil with strength. You cannot storm the gates of hell to defeat the evil one. The only way to overcome evil is with good. The only way to overcome hatred is with love. The, the Apostle Paul movie 
uh, also makes this point very strongly. There were, there were a number of Christians in the first century that wanted to fight back. You know, the Romans are slaughtering us. They're, they're, they're arresting us. They're torturing us. They're killing our people. We need to take up swords. We need to fight back. And as Paul languished in that Roman prison, he said, no, you cannot, or Christ is not in you. His was the way of love, not him. And so instead of a lion, instead of a warrior, you get a lamb. Did you hear what they said about the lamb? It, in the scripture it says, that by his blood he purchased all people from every tribe and tongue and language for God. Think about that word purchased a minute. That means two things to me. When something is purchased, it means it changes ownership. If you have something you want to sell, and I come to you and you tell me what you want for it. I give you the money. You give me the item. It's no longer yours. You can no longer stop in every day and say, I just want to see it. <laughs> I, I want to see how you're doing with it. No, it's mine now. You gave up ownership of it. And, and he's trying to make the point that that's what happened. When Jesus went to the cross, we changed hands. We went from being a slave of sin to the evil one to being a child of God. Because we were purchased by Christ, by that lamb for God. Now, the word purchase also implies a price, a cost. If you purchase something, you give up something of value for something of greater value, at least to you. If I have $50 in my pocket, I go to the store, I see something. Let's say I'm at uh, Harbor Freight Tools. Let's just say, let's just say I'm at Harbor Freight Tools. I got $50 in my pocket. I walk in, and oh my goodness, look at that. It's $49.99. I'm sure I can scrounge up some tax somewhere, you know. And I exchange my $50 for that tool, that item, and I go home and I proclaim to Sue, look what I have purchased. And does she rejoice with me? No. Here, I should move over here so you can see her. Uh, does, does she rejoice with me? No, she does not. Most of the time she goes, you, you spent $50 for that? She evidently does not understand value as I do. So purchase implies cost. Giving up something of value to get something that you view to be of greater value. And that's why it said, by his blood we were purchased. Don't read over that lightly. Don't just hear that and move on. By his blood 
In other words, by the sacrifice of his life, we were purchased. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That is a, an amazing statement. Think of it this way. I want a brand new car. Uh, yeah, are you with me? I've never owned a new car, ever, in my life. I've always bought used cars. Because according to my friend Steve Hembry, everybody drives a used car, right? That's what he says, and I'm a believer. But let's say I get this overwhelming urge, I want a new car. Shiny new showroom car. Walk in. I don't want one sitting out here in the lot. I want the one sitting inside the building. So I, I go. I've saved up money because, you know, Dave Ramsey would insist I pay for it, right? Right. I, I'm thinking of you, Wally. I'm thinking of you. So I save up my money. I do without other things. I, I go and I buy my car, my shiny, brand-new car. I drive at 20 mile an hour because, you know, I want to make sure everybody sees Roger's in his new car. I get home and my neighbor pulls in in his rattle trap. <laughs> you know, he's got this old car that's barely hanging together. Uh, it's got all kinds of problems. And he walks over and says, Ooh, look at that. And I will never be able to have that ever in my life. You are so lucky. And something comes over me and I just look at him and say, You know what? Trade me key. You give me the key to your jalopy, your rattle trap. And I'll give you my brand new car. You know, that sounds pretty ridiculous, doesn't it? <laughs> you can tell my grandson's got the right value system going here. Yeah. Did you learn that from your mother or your father? <laughs> I know you didn't learn it from Mamma and Papa. No. But you know what? I, I tell you that, but that's exactly what Jesus did. That's what that verse means. When it says, He who had no sin became sin for us. Jesus came into this world, and He was the shiny new car. He lived a life that no one had ever lived. Perfect, sinless, spotless, blameless. You couldn't find fault with Him no matter what you did. You could hire all the private investigators you want. You could do all the background checks you wanted. You would find absolutely nothing but good about Jesus. He lived his whole life that way. And Satan didn't own him. He was the only human being on the planet that Satan didn't own. Because he owned all the rest through their sin. And Jesus said, I'm going to make you a deal. 
I'm going to give you my perfect spotless life for these sinners. Now the problem was Satan didn't know he was coming back. But now that's next week. I'm not going to talk about that. The next week. Don't let me get ahead of myself. That's next week. For this week, I want you to understand that you've been purchased. You're, you're under new management. <laughs> and it was at a great cost. The life of Jesus. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I, I emphasize that because I, I told you the very first week of this series that 72% of the American people believe in heaven. 72%. But most of those same people don't believe in Jesus. Houston, we have a problem. Many of those people believe that heaven, if you, if you not only ask them, do you believe in heaven, what do you believe about heaven? Heaven is a place where good people get rewarded. You live a good enough life, a decent enough life, you do more good than bad, you know, on the scale, you're going to heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches us. And that's not what the life of Jesus showed us. God cannot abide, the Bible says, the presence of unrighteousness. So if you think you're going to heaven because you got 51% good and 49% bad, you're in trouble. If you think you're going to heaven because you got 75% good and 25% bad, you're, you're in, still in trouble. In fact, if you live a life as good as ivory soap, you remember the old ivory soap commercials? I'm dating myself. I realize that. They made kind of a smart remark when we were back in the room and, and I realized I needed to play Jesus and I got dressed. My son-in-law pointed out, wasn't Jesus only 33? Really? I realize I'm old. But I remember hearing ivory soap commercials that said it was 99 and 44 100% pure. You remember that? So let's say you're an ivory soap person and you manage to live your life that is 99 and 44 100% good. And there's only, what, 56%, 0.56% bad. That's overwhelming, isn't it? Surely God's got to say yes to that. No. He won't. He can't. He cannot open the gates of heaven to unrighteousness. It doesn't matter how great or how small it may be. We have to be as Jesus was. Sinless. Blameless. And I can't pull that off. And neither can you. That's why... It was the Lamb that came forward to open the scroll. That's why the Lamb of God had to take away the sins of the world. The last part of that said, 
he became sin who, he became sin who had no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. You do not want to make the mistake of standing before God someday on your own. You know, there are people who are accused of a crime and they go to court and they say, well, I'll just represent myself. I'm not going to pay for a lawyer. Does that work out well most of the time? No, it does not. Because you have an experienced lawyer and you're, you're bumbling around up there trying to defend yourself and, and you're in trouble. Well, you do not want to stand before a holy and righteous God in your sinfulness and try to defend yourself to Him because the moment you stand before Him, you are suddenly going to realize the fullness, the weight of your sin. And you're going to know that all is lost. But the Bible says that the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world stands by us. He becomes our defense attorney. And when God says, what sin is there in this man that I might judge him? Jesus says, point of order, Your Honor. His sins have already been paid for in full. And he is covered by my righteousness. Thank God for the Lamb of God. A lion would be great. A mighty warrior would be wonderful. But I am thankful that we have a lamb. A lamb that was slain so that by his blood we have been purchased for God. And we'll be with him forever in this wonderful kingdom we call heaven. Let us pray. God, I am so thankful for the Lamb. I am thankful that you love us so much that you would do the unthinkable, that you would take the best that this world has ever known and sacrifice it for the worst that this world has ever seen. Lord, I thank you that each and every one of us can someday stand before you, not in trembling and fear because of our sinfulness and our unworthiness, but we can stand before you in confident assurance that Jesus Christ is our Lord and we have his righteousness. And Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.